You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, June 22, 2020. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz speaks with Chuck Carney, Indiana University spokesman, about renaming buildings at the university. Braden also talks to Megan Campbell, an activist who started a petition to rename Jordan Avenue, Jordan Hall, and the Jordan River. That's coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, I talk to Mayor John Hamilton in our Monday segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Today, we talk about the recent spike of COVID-19 cases, renaming buildings at IU, and more. But first, your local headlines. Indiana State Department of Health reported 13 new deaths and 277 new positive cases from COVID-19. This comes after 7,317 new tests were issued in the state. Latest numbers were updated at 11.59 p.m. on Sunday night. The new positive case count marks the tie between March 29th to June 21st. The new death toll includes the tie between May 28th and June 21st. That brings the state's total number of positive cases to 42,633, with 2,363 total deaths. This is out of 418,916 people tested. Monroe County has seen 209 total positive cases, with 26 total deaths. Last week, Monroe County saw 22 new cases and 8 deaths. It included the highest spike the county has seen in a single day. In light of that recent spike, Monroe County Health Department launched an investigation with help from the state health department. According to Penny Caudill, Monroe County Health Administrator, the state health department will conduct contact tracing. The county public health nurses are expected to determine if there are any commonalities among the cases. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Caudell said the OptumServe testing site no longer requires a patient to have symptoms to get a COVID-19 test. She spoke about the registration process during a June 19th COVID-19 press conference. If you wish to get tested, you just need to register. You do need to be an Indiana resident or you need to work in Indiana, but that's it. So register, make an appointment, and you can go to that site. The website to register is lhi.care backslash COVID testing. And you can also go to the state's dashboard uh, website and there is a testing page and it lists all the different sites that you can go to, not just in Monroe County, but across the state. Cadell said many positive tests are from asymptomatic people. She encouraged everyone to maintain distance and wear masks. Caudell said suicide rates are a concern when thinking about reopening the county. As we look at the restrictions we've had and moving forward, it is a delicate balancing act. And, you know, it's not just disease prevention or economy, but it is physical health and mental health. Uh, All of those things are a huge part of this. We've seen a decrease in 
um, our immunization rates. So we know that uh, from our uh, mental health providers that people are struggling. They struggle when they're forced to be inside. And, you know, we talk about social distancing, but it really is physical distancing. Uh, but people, when they are isolated, it's very, very difficult. And when you are managing um, substance abuse or other mental health issues, that just makes that even more difficult. And so I, I completely expect that, yes, we would say that there have been probably more suicide attempts, perhaps more death by suicide. I don't have those exact numbers, but I can tell you it is a concern and it is a factor as we consider, do we stay and keep things more restricted or, or do we open up? And it is a delicate balancing act. Emergency Management Director Allison Moore said the June 23rd blood drive is full. She said more blood drives are in the future. Um, we are excited to announce that we are going to have two additional blood drives that the Monroe County government is going to support and um, get scheduled so that information will be released. The marketing materials will be released next week and will be on our website. Um, but it is actually already available for you to go on and get scheduled for those two additional blood drives. They are going to be both at the Monroe County Convention Center, just as our first blood drive was. Moore said the blood drives are scheduled for June 30th and July 17th. She said the county is looking into an evening blood drive option, but for now, each is scheduled for 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. In the third installment of our series on the Bloomington Hospital relocation, our correspondent Aaron Comforty spoke with Keith Romaine about his hopes for the site redevelopment. We turn to WFHB correspondent Aaron Comforty for more. In the third installment of our series on the Bloomington Hospital relocation, I spoke with someone who everyone's been telling me I need to speak with, Keith Romaine. He's an artist and a resident of the McDowell Gardens neighborhood adjacent to the hospital and his house looks like a picture out of a fairy tale. Ivy dangles from poplar trees that shade his wooden porch with limestone steps. Lilies fill the front yard. In the sunny backyard, colorful streamers face a bread oven he built with the intention that the community could bake their own bread there. He told me that with the hospital moving, he hopes to see truly affordable, multifamily homes that in turn help neighbors get to know each other and build community. He'd like to see affordable, tiny homes from reclaimed or natural materials built. He spoke to me about the economic dynamics of home ownership. I spoke with Keith on his front porch. We both wore masks and sat at least six feet away from each other. The housing market is one that I've, to a degree, profited from. And most people that own houses have. But people that don't own houses are locked out. It's not fair <laughs> at all. Keith talked at length about how expensive housing in Bloomington has gotten, and that he hopes that the hospital site redevelopment won't make it even more so. When I asked Keith if he was sad to see the hospital go, this is what he said. Our neighborhood has had a, uh, a love-hate relationship with the um, hospital. The hospital needed much more parking for their employees. In the early 2000s, they wanted to tear down houses nearby to put in parking. And so we created the Neighborhood Association in 1998 um, to stop them. 
While Keith emphasized how he hoped that the site redevelopment could foster community creativity and gardens, he also mentioned that he would like to have some kind of health facility remain in the neighborhood, even though IU Health, the healthcare system that operates the hospital, has forbidden any medical use of the former hospital site. Yes, I would like to see something near the neighborhood that would be nice. Like a prompt care sort of thing. There's a lot of buildings that the hospital doesn't own that could be clinics. Um, it doesn't have to be um, on that site. To see pictures of Keith's beautiful home and bread oven, check out wfhb.org and our Instagram and Facebook pages. I'm Aaron Comforti. In recent days, universities across the United States have renamed their facilities and buildings after racist comments resurface from alumni. Indiana University announced it will rename the Intramural Center after Bill Garrett, the first black basketball player at IU. WFHB correspondent Braden Lentz has more on that story. Indiana University is among a list of schools to rename statues and buildings of alumni whose pasts are clouded with racism. On Friday, the IU Board of Trustees voted unanimously to approve a resolution to rename the Intramural Center. The center is located on the Bloomington campus and will be renamed the William Leon Garrett Fieldhouse in honor of Bill Garrett. I use first black basketball player. The center was originally named after Aura L. Wildermont in 1971, a former trustee and judge from Lake County. The board approved the removal of Wildermont's name from the center in 2018. This was because of his opposition to racial integration and racist comments he made in the past. After Rachel Graham Cody was publishing her findings in a book about Bill Garrett, she found letters Wildermont wrote to then IU President Herman B. Wells. In a letter he wrote to Wales in 1948, he said, quote, The average of the black race is as intelligence, economic status, and industry is so far below the white average that it seems to be fuddled to build hope for a great future. End quote. With public scrutiny, the IU trustees started a dialogue about renaming the center with Garrett's name beginning as late as 2007. Garrett was a Shelbyville native who led the Shelbyville High School basketball team to win its first state championship in 1947. He was named Indiana's Mr. Basketball, but was never accepted to a major college. In the late 40s, there was one black student who played Big Ten basketball. He was Dick Cumbertson from the University of Iowa. He played limited action during his first season due to World War II. After IU didn't allow Garrett to participate on the team due to his color, black leaders, including Fawburn DeFriends, protested for him to be on the court. Garrett had no other black players on his team, but he became a catalyst of change. After graduating from college in 1954 and being drafted to the Boston Celtics, there were six black players on five Big Ten teams. After leaving the Celtics, Garrett served a stint in the Army during the Korean War. Coming back home to Indianapolis, he played for the Harlem Globetrotters before coaching the all-black Serpus Attics High School to the 1959 state championship. Another building that is on the list for the IU Trustees Renaming Committee is Jordan Hall, named after David Starr Jordan, the president of IU from 1884 to 1891. Calls to rename Jordan Hall, Jordan Avenue, and the Jordan River came in 
form of a petition started on change.org. The petition calls out Jordan for his connections to the American eugenics movement. Quote, Jordan's name is tied to eugenics, the practice of controlled selective breeding of humans often carried out through forced sterilization. End quote. For more information on renaming IU buildings and monuments, I interviewed IU Director of Media Relations Chuck Carney and the founder of the renaming petition on Change.com, former IU alumni Megan Campbell. When asked about renaming the Intramural Center, Carney said that IU has begun to take remarkable steps to make IU united for everyone. This was a decision that was made and, and is obviously a long time coming. The discussion goes back many, many years. In fact, uh, there was even a move as far back as 2009 to have uh, Bill Garrett's name on that building. Uh, this was something that was done in close consultation with family. We wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with it. When the Wildermuth name was taken off of the Intramural Center in 2018, then that, of course, paved the way for there to be a new name on the building. But even at that time, uh, things were not completely right with uh, everything with the, the family and their comfort level with this. In the meantime, there had even been a historical marker placed outside the intramural center that noted Bill Garrett's efforts as the first regularly playing African-American in the Big Ten Conference. So it's really, really fitting that the replacement of the name goes to a real trailblazer. For Campbell, renaming the center means IU has taken a step but needs to go further addressing racism and practices liked by former alumni. I do, mainly just because, I mean, obviously the Intramural Center was named after Bill Garrett, which is a phenomenal choice in my opinion. But I do think that IU could go further. Like, yes, obviously, Wildermuth was a horrendous racist. We knew of that past and the university made the choice to remove that name. but. Mm -hmm. There are other names on campus like Davis or Jordan and even Elijah Ballantyne who are not, when we're looking at today's sort of values that the university holds, that those two gentlemen really don't live up to those. Um, mm -hmm. With Jordan, obviously, as I stated in my petition, there was the past of racism, eugenics, et cetera. And then even though I didn't mention Elijah Ballantyne in my petition just because that's not really what it was about at the time. Valentine was one of the people who didn't want women admitted to the university, yet we still oh, have wow. his name. Wow. And so I do think that the university could go further. And from the email that President McRobbie sent out not too long ago saying that the Board of Trustees was reviewing every sort of monument and building on campus, I think that they're going to try to do that. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they actually will is something we'll just have to wait and see. IU has had years of reported cases stemming from race violence to racist comments to sexual abuse amongst students and faculty of race. Most famously in 2019 with Professor Eric Ramusen and his comments on race and color. Carney promised IU will be a safe place for addressing issues. Same goes with hiring staff in the future. Well, I think that's the key thing. It's to make everybody feel safe. And that gets bandied about a lot now and people question whether or not feelings are a thing that are key. Well, mm -hmm. if you're in a building where you feel like there is a representation of something 
that is not something that is what you're about, then you can understand how the educational mission would be interrupted. So the goal of IU is education, first and foremost. And to make that happen, we have to create a situation where our students feel they are not just comfortable, but empowered. So we want our students to speak out. We want them to talk about these things. And I think time, of course, it's, it's, we've uh, continued to have more conversations. And as things have really happened so quickly this summer, and it's been described accurately, I think, as a pandemic on a pandemic, this has really made people have even more difficult discussions. Uh, and as you have what are now termed difficult discussions, it becomes less difficult and you begin to see what is simply the right thing to do. That what is what IU is starting to do more of now. And I think that President McRobbie's announcement of the trustees that not only would the Garrett name go on the intramural center, but we would be reconsidering all names on all buildings and thinking about what those names represent. Now, there was a time that uh, the people that these buildings were named after that they existed and it was a different time and there may have been different mores and different thoughts about what things were and what people stood for. Well, times have advanced, things have changed and we shouldn't have stood for some of those things at any point in history. And it's time to recognize that. That was Braden Lentz talking to IU spokesperson Chuck Carney and activist Megan Campbell. This was part one of Braden's feature. Stay tuned for Wednesday's show to hear part two. Now it's time for a few minutes with the mayor, our weekly segment where I talk to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about local issues. In today's conversation, we talk about the recent spike of COVID-19, eviction suspensions, and the renaming of IU Bloomington buildings. Here is that interview. Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. See, last week, the Monroe County Commissioners approved an interlocal agreement with the Township Trustees Association to help residents once the rent and eviction suspensions are lifted. And as there seemed to be a second wave of COVID-19, has the city done anything similar to this or have any plans to help those who may not be able to afford the rent for the remainder of this year? Rent evictions are a really big challenge, and I'm pleased that the county uh, is working with the townships to um, help uh, intervene in that. And We've encouraged that, and I'm going to continue to encourage that. I think it's important for people to remember that that all city residents are county residents as well. And so in some ways, the township trustee network, which is which is a critical network for supporting um, individuals facing poverty or other kind of stress like that is a is a countywide network that's really helpful, including, of course, covering all city residents. So I'm continuing to work with the county about that. And I think uh, additional investments uh, from countywide to help eviction uh, threats is a really smart thing to do, and I'll be encouraging that we do that. There was a recent spike of COVID-19 cases in Monroe County from 12 to 22 new cases and eight deaths since June 12th. And what is the city or county's response to this spike? Well, we're watching the 
science, the data, the um, trajectory of this infection very closely. And when I say we, I, that's primarily led by the health department. And um, I meet with them several times a week, along with representatives from IU Health and the uh, Indiana University and the county commissioners and others. And we're always reviewing what's going on. It is of some concern when we see uh, bumps in the data. I will say the data continue to be quite favorable in the current trajectory in terms of deaths per capita, in terms of disease per capita. But again, a lot of that is uh, we're working without the kind of data that we want. We'd we'd like more testing. Uh, The second round of prevalence testing, which was a random selection of Hoosiers and finding out how many people have been sick, showed a decline from the first round, which is a really positive result, too, that we have fewer people infected now than we did in the end of April. And that's a good trend. So, you know, I I, I don't want to overreact to bumps in the in the data, but we certainly need to keep paying attention. And I would just say a really important thing we're talking about and working on is the plan for the return of many thousands of students from all around the country or all around the world and how we protect against a surge uh, that could happen after that return of so many people from all around the planet. Has there been any like contact tracing done to find out maybe where this surge came from, if they all were at a certain event or at a certain place where it could have been spread to many people? Contact tracing is being done at the state level. They really lead that. And um, I haven't heard any results of that, but those are exactly the kind of questions that they will um, want to identify you know, it can be a it can be a long term care facility that's got a blossoming of cases. It can be a event, as you described. Uh, from what I have heard, generally, we're we continue to be hopeful that the the big outdoor events that we've had, being outdoor and being so well masked, that we hope those haven't been the source. But I haven't heard any results yet of that contact tracing. But we will hear that and. And that's an important uh, part of the whole public health system. It is worth noting that Indiana is in about the bottom of the country in terms of public health system funding. We are uh, 47th, 49th. It depends, I think, on which exact list you look at. But Indiana is dramatically low in funding our public health system, which does the things like contact tracing, uh, overall uh, monitoring and and investment in public health. So we do have a long way to go for that at the state level, I believe. As uh, downtown performance spaces start to open, like the Comedy Attic and the Buskirk Chumley Theater, does the city have any concerns of a continued spike or just a case spreading being indoors and in those kind of smaller spaces? Yes. The short answer is yes, we have concerns about that. Uh, Again, the science and the data suggest that some of the most likely events to cause a significant spread of the disease is when you have significant numbers of individuals who are indoors for long periods of time without masks or social distancing. And so that combination of things is what concerns us the most, looking at what are the events that can cause the most threat for spreading. And so we want to make sure those are done carefully. And I know the the hosts of those events will want to be careful with those um, because they don't want things to go backwards either. But what we can tell, those are the events that are the biggest threat for like a super spreader kind of event or a, or a real setback. Mm-hmm. It's why long-term care facilities are dangerous in particular, because you have m- many people indoors, of course, long periods of time, they're staying there uh, indoors with different numbers of people back and forth. And 
that that makes them a relatively more dangerous place. And of course, they, they tend to have people who are more fragile uh, to begin with. And then the last question we have today, I used to review the names of all structures and rename any buildings given names based off of segregationist, such as the recent renaming of the intramural center. And just how do you feel about this? You know, I think it's a good thing uh, as part of the overall continuing effort to eradicate racism, to root out white supremacism, the terrible history in our country. We, we have always to acknowledge, it's important to acknowledge the deep racism that's been in our, in our history as a country, and we've made a lot of progress on that, but we've also got a long way to go. And I think recognizing that some of the names of places here uh, is, is reflecting that racism it's a process to remember that, for example, early in the 20th century, there was an explicit effort to kind of from the white supremacy, from KKK members and from white supremacist causes that wanted to actually affirmatively name things for Confederate heroes and for uh, segregationists. And so that that's a part of our history that is absolutely appropriate to review. I think a university like Indiana reviewing the history of its naming and are there parts of that that, that resonate negatively today because they, they re- reflect some of that negative parts of our character that we have to acknowledge. Um, I think that's a really good exercise to think about who do we want to honor um, with, with the legacies that live on today and what are the effects of those on our current uh, residents and people and students uh, and if they cause difficulty, damage, of making feel unwelcome, that's a really important process. Would the city have any plans or would consider doing any sort of review of city buildings or anything like that? I'm open to suggestions about it. I'm I'm not aware of, of statues or names that are of concern like that, but they, they may be. There may be some out there, and I think it's perfectly appropriate for a community to, to review those and welcome people's uh, suggestions about that. Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Aaron Comforty, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Braden Lentz and Sydney Foreman. Our engineer is Kate Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast, as well as all other WFHB news programming online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. 
our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 